Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, friends. Welcome to this tradition unlike any... <laughs> Did somebody scream mashed potatoes? That was mashed. <laughs> what is up, everybody? Welcome into this episode of Big Drive Energy, brought to you by the one and only DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today, we get to interview Kelly McCandless, a longtime golf teacher. She is the best. She's going to start working at the Valley of Fun, and she tells you all about breaking through and getting into the game of golf. Whether you're an expert or just beginning the game, she lays it all out there for you. We hope you enjoy our interview with Kelly McCandless. All right. And now for our long-awaited guest, we have Miss Kelly McCandless of KMG18 Academy and the owner of the Golf Barn Parker, one of the coolest places I've ever been. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Miss Kelly. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. I'm so excited and delighted to be here. So uh, let's let's talk golf. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we're we're not very good at that. Sometimes on this podcast, we tend we tend to get sidetracked. So hopefully, you can keep us on the rails here. Our pods tend to go off the rails sometimes. So that's all right. Um, so, Miss <laughs> Kelly, you did an awesome presentation at the virtual Colorado Golf Expo. And when me and you talked last week, before I, I even thought of the awesome idea to have you on our pod, uh, you kind of told me what your presentation was about. And so today we'll go through. Kind of, you know, basically you can represent uh, without all, you don't have to talk the whole time. We'll uh, put in some stupid anecdotes here and there and try to get, <laughs> pick your brain a little bit. But um, you had a really cool concept of breaking through and that's that's the title of this podcast. Um, and it's just a cool concept for golfers beginning and golfers that have already started to play and golfers that took up the game 20 years ago. Um, so give us a little intro, uh, kind of tell us about yourself, first of all, and then we'll get into how to break through in the game of golf. 
Well, a little bit about me. I grew up, uh, was a multi-sport athlete when I was a kid. Uh, didn't really concentrate on golf until my junior and senior year of high school. And uh, I kind of took up golf late anyways. I was probably 14 when I had my uh, first round of golf and I shot like 120, I think it was. And then my next year, I started, started taking some lessons. And uh, we ended up, we were a small school in Texas. So uh, we went to state. My first year at state, I shot 112, 108. So like 220 total, right? My next year at state, my sophomore year, I shot 80, 85 for 165 total, which is like wow. incredible. Like going That's from- That's an incredible jump. jump. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it really was just my mental athlete, like my mentality as an athlete was just- I couldn't let myself be bad, right? That was not an option for me. And uh, so they asked me to play, so I played and I ended up um, getting a couple D1 scholarships out of high school, but nothing like I really wanted to be. Um, I thought I could go deep, big D1. And so I decided to go JUCO for a year or two years, depending on how long it was gonna last. But I got offers, like I played well my first semester in college and just, just took off from there. Uh, played a couple years mini tour. So I ended up Juco to Baylor. So I finished three years at Baylor. And then uh, after that, I um, played a couple years on mini tours, traveled around a little bit, kind of figured it really wasn't for me. I always ended up like helping people with their golf games more than I was like helping my golf game. So, so anyway, so I ended up uh, contacting my golf instructor. We kind of hooked up. I took a, I, I took a kind of hiatus after um, I was a school teacher for a little while. I needed a break from golf. Uh, a little sad I didn't make it, frustrated with myself. And so I was a school teacher for a little while. And then, um, gosh, I got my first big gig, if you want to call it, as a golf instructor um, in North Texas at Brookhaven Country Club. And this guy uh, hired me and kind of went out on a limb. You know, I was a school teacher getting back into teaching golf. And, and uh, you know, I really didn't have a lot of credentials to be a director of instruction, but he knew I could communicate well. And he knew that I could uh, work well with parents and kids, right? And they were ha had a pretty large junior academy. Well, uh, he went on a limb on me and, and, you know, stuck his neck out. And that's how I got my break into Club Corp. And I've been with Club Corp for about nine years now. So um, traveled a little bit. So uh, we transferred up here to, to Denver from Dallas and, um, you know, settled in here. And it's been wonderful. Love the Parker area. It's been awesome for us. Oh, ended up having some extra money last year or pre-COVID. So it was winter of 2019 into early 2020. We had some extra money. So we decided to convert our horse barn into a golf simulated teaching facility because I cannot sit still. Like that is not my, my thing. And so the first two years that we were up here and I didn't teach in the winter, I was like, I, I, I really missed that interaction with people. And uh, so I struggled a little bit. So um it was wonderful. COVID, we opened it up, kind of shut down for a little while because you didn't know what was going on with COVID. So was back out last summer at Blackstone and Black Bear. And then this winter, I decided to open us back up and, you know, be as safe as you can. And uh, gosh, I'm telling you, I get 40 to 50 people coming through every week, whether they're practicing, whether they're playing a little bit, whether they're taking lessons and stuff like that. But through, through all of this, what I've noticed through this whole COVID atmosphere is that you're getting so many new golfers into, in, into, into, into golf because either they've left the game and they, because they didn't have time. Right. But now working from home, people have the opportunity to go play, like skip out on a work thing or take a call from the ninth hole. I mean, oh, yeah. so happens. Right. 
And so, um, so anyway, so COVID has brought in so many new people, whether it be spouses into golf or whether they're back into golf and they don't know what to do. And so that's kind of how I had the concept for doing the uh, presentation at the golf expo. Cause I was like, gosh, so many people are new. And then we've got people that are still trying to get better. And I was like, breaking through is just like, kind of like the whole concept. Yeah. And I think what's really important about the the whole concept of breaking through, like you said, with how many new players we've had to golf in the last year, golf is not a sport like a bowling where you kind of do it as a kid or you do it with your family and you just go out and do it and you're comfortable with it. Golf is a sport that's unfortunately for all of us that love golf and try to grow it. It's there's a lot of barriers to entry and there's it's it's hard to get into and it's hard to be comfortable out on the golf course. So it's it's basically the hardest sport that you would just go any you can go play any day. Any person can go play. Um, but there's a lot of like unwritten rules and things that if you don't know, you don't necessarily feel comfortable just showing up at a golf course or calling and making a tee time and showing up and playing. Right. And yeah. so, you um, know, I, yeah, oh, go I'm ahead, sorry. Mitchell. Go ahead. I was just going to say one other uh, thing that we've noticed too, is so many people our age, like we've, we've got buddies from high school that would have never touched a golf club in their lives. And now all of a sudden they're super into it. And that's an interesting demographic too. Um, out of Spring Valley, we actually had to start keeping track of who took what carts because if we saw like kids our age roll in, we're like, these kids are probably going to be hammered, like rolling the car out there, you know, like they, <laughs> it's just a totally different scenario. Um, but I thought that's been really cool too, is just the different age groups. Um, it really, like you said, it doesn't matter. A lot of kids, like I'm sure you did a ton of junior lessons. We did a lot of junior lessons last year. Um, I did a lot of uh, ladies lessons, which is not as had not been as popular in years past, but a lot of women were just starting to get introduced to the game. Um, and then like, even like you said, there's people in their fifties. Uh, there's people that have never touched the club before that want to get into it. So I think it's just awesome all the way around. It's not, it's not specific to one group. It's, it's covering a lot of demographics. I um, surprising like this last year, I had quite a few like family lessons and some That's of it awesome. was, was parents that are like 50 to 60 and kids that were like early twenties, you know, and they all, you know, cause of this is the only thing that's open. Right. Yeah. For the, for the longest time, nothing was open unless you were a golf course. And mm -hmm. it was like the craziest scenario. And you're like, Hmm, okay. So in order to just to have some sort of like normalcy, people are getting into golf and it's such a, and then people are starting to really like it. And then before you know it, they're liking it enough to pay for some golf clubs. They're lucky enough to pay for a membership. They're lucky enough to pay for, you know, uh, an opportunity for me to come out and go play golf with them or get, you know, we'll do a little lesson or two. It's just incredible. Um, so it's been wonderful. Yeah. I totally agree. It's been awesome. And like you said, I think that's a big thing too, is um, oh, at least in our, our area, there was a lot of people working, but they were working remotely, but they, and I don't know if it sounds bad or not, but they had, they were making the same amount of money, but they, they couldn't go to restaurants. They couldn't go to sporting events. They couldn't do anything. And so they were, they, I wouldn't, I mean, it almost felt like at times like people were looking for somewhere to spend money. And a right. lot of that went into the golf industry this last year, which was awesome. You know, and, and I don't want to make light of this by any means, guys, but, you know, it's so funny. 
my wife and I talk about this all the time. It's there's no gray area with this COVID of people either doing well or people are really suffering. So yeah. that's what's really like, there's no middle ground where people are just, you know, they're about normal. You're either getting better through this COVID stuff or you've lost your job and are, or having trouble paying bills. And it's, it's, it's hard, but the people who are having that disposable income because they're eating at home more, gosh, they're spending it on something. And yeah, yeah. This is the, it feels like golf has been the thing. <laughs> and I really feel like I was so limited on my time this last summer because I was given outside. I was probably 55 to 60 lessons a week. And so if you can imagine, I didn't, those are all private lessons too. I did not have, because I, I didn't know, and you never know about this stuff. And I always want people, anybody who's in front of me, I want them to feel hundred percent comfortable. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep it less than two, two or less in my lessons, unless it's a family that comes together. And so, um, gosh, I would be out there and just two people on a, one time, I think I added it up. I had 88 people in front of me in a week's time. Wow. And that's just on either two person or a couple people coming because they're family or if they had three kids that wanted to all take lessons at the same time. But that is an incredible amount of like numbers. If I had more time or if we could have done bigger group scenarios, like summer camps would have been like off the chart this last summer. Absolutely. And I just didn't have the time or the opportunity to, uh, but gosh, I, I, I'm very grateful for how busy I was, but gosh, I just, I felt like there was a missed opportunity there, you know? Totally. You feel, you feel like you don't have enough hours in the day almost right. kind of thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty wild. Well, so, um, kind of on the topic of your presentation, um, I saw you kind of started with junior golf a little bit. So if you want to tell us a little bit about uh, some of your thoughts there, and we'll ask you a few questions on that. Yeah, so junior golf, I've been working with kids. I mean, gosh, I've probably had 20 years experience working with kids, whether it be, because I was club volleyball, you know, I coached basketball, I coached track. Um, kids are resilient. That's the best way we can put it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very, when I coach kids, I encourage parents to really seek out the best economical spot because kids, if, if you're playing volleyball, if you're playing basketball, if you're playing club baseball, you know, if you're traveling, um, doing football, whatever it is, every sport is so expensive for kids and kids grow out of clubs so fast. Right. So I'm like, let's go search on eBay. Let's see if we can find some used clubs. I've started buying sets of clubs for the kids that are in my, um, in, on my lesson book. And so let's say these kids buy a U.S. kid set and they use it for a year and the kids grown out of them. I'm like, can I be first dibs at buying that set off you so that I can yeah. resell it to another parent? Because that's a great opportunity for people to spend less money on that because I keep talking, you know, I'm like, you spend less money on that. Maybe you'll spend more money on golf lessons because that's really where you're going to get, I think, your biggest bang for your buck, right? Um, totally. And of course, it, that helps me, if, you know, I mean, let's... <laughs> But I really do believe that that's a better, better idea. So getting, getting golf clubs that are going to be fit for them, trying, I always talk to the kids and this is us kids model is growing out of the clubs, not into the clubs. So if you can imagine if, if, oh, that, you know, how many parents do you hear? Oh, they'll grow into it. And you're like, gosh, it's like three inches on the back end of their hands that that thing's going to get tangled up in their sweatshirt. It's going to get tangled up in their, their pants leg. You know, I'm like, they can barely, you know, shift the club into a good hinge because it's too long for them. And possibly at that point, it's too upright. So if you can imagine 
getting the club to flatten on the ground underneath the ball, their hands have to go so vertical. And then that just promotes something that I really work on is early extension with kids because they're just not strong enough. So if the club's already too upright, their hands are moving up and their hips are not rotating to the target through impact. So I try to really work on getting the parents understanding about clubs, finding use sets, I think are really important. And then, you know, at that point, you know, let's find some sort of program that can get them on the golf course. Cause no matter what, kids don't really understand how to practice until they see why they need to practice. Totally. Does that make yeah. sense? So, and, and this, this, this analogy was said to me a long time ago. It's like, gosh, do you ever remember playing t-ball? And how many times in practice did you get the kids to run to first base, get to run to first base? And we were rehearsing it, rehearsing it, rehearsing it. They get in the game, they get stunned, they hit a shot, they go to third. And you're like, <laughs> and you're like whoa, whoa, whoa. You're supposed yeah. to go first. We've went over this a million times. But until you get into a game scenario where you're actually adding pressure, where your brain has to think on the fly, those things and those tendencies don't come out until that pressure um, is applied. And so tournaments are really important for the kids to grow and get better. And I'm a big proponent for anybody, no matter who's in front of me, failure is great. Failure is so important for the learning process to happen. So get out of your, as a parent, get out of your kid's way, let them fall on their face, let them whiff the ball. It's okay. They start, they start at that point when they come back to you and say, dad, what did I do wrong there? They're ready to learn at that point. When I see parents barking, move here, your left foot's too far, your hands are wrong on the golf club, put your hands higher. Don't forget, don't swing too far back. Easy does it. That's another one. Easy does it or swings, smooth it out or keep your head down. Gosh, how many things are going through their brain? Oh, yeah. Well, and I think the best part about golf from uh, our perspective as teachers is no matter if it's everybody thinks they know something about this game and in, in any sport like we've Mitchell and I played baseball, basketball, football. We could probably semi coach kids at it, you know, get, get them rolling in the right direction. But golf's one of those things that if somebody's truly trying to get better, they have to have expert instruction and all the people that think they know what they're talking about, 95% of them have no clue. And the other 4% that are, aren't golf instructors maybe are a good player, but being a good player has nothing to do with being a good instructor. Well, and I find that people who try to give advice, they're always giving advice that was given to them. Totally. And not, I mean, every swing that you see in front of you is different. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to apply the same process to someone that's 85 or someone that's 10, you're probably not doing the right thing because that person at 85 or let's say 65, whatever it is, or female versus a male, they're going to have two totally different swings. And there are so many concepts in the golf swing that need to be there. You know, a good hinge, uh, coming into impact and making sure that you're hitting golf ball first. Um, if you're hitting an iron, if you're hitting a driver, maybe hitting slightly up on it. You know, there's so many concepts that need to be present for um, a good golf shot to happen, but you got to kind of work off of what happened at contact, work your way back into the backswing, see what's happening to initiate that poor contact. And then after that, you start to be, it's, it's a story is told in the backswing and a story is told in the downswing to get into that impact position and why they're topping it or why they're hitting it thin or why it's going to the right. 
but there's always a story to be told told to get to that spot so yeah Yeah, I, i i totally agree and i I think you would probably agree with this, but we've talked about this before. Um, There's almost a learning curve, especially with all the new golfers coming into the game. Um, There's a learning curve on instruction and people understanding what instruction brings them and the difference between getting advice from your buddies and getting actual professional instruction and just an expectation of what somebody's going to get out of a lesson. And that's always one of the toughest things, in my opinion, is not tempering people's expectations. But golf is one of those things where a lot of people think of it as like you're taking your car to the mechanic. Um, You pay a certain amount of money, you get it done and it's fixed. Like golf instruction is so much different because you're giving people all the tools, but it's ultimately up to them on where they go with it. So that's been one of the challenges I, for me personally, and I'm sure you can agree with that, where um, we've all had those students where you give them a lesson and then they come back two weeks later and you're like, how many times have you hit balls yeah. or even gone, done anything? And they say zero. And you're like, well, so we're probably going to be working on some of the same stuff we worked on last week. Or we're you just can't. over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, and that's another thing people don't understand is golf is one of those few things that it's not like riding a bike. It's something that will go away. <laughs> if you don't practice it, there's no repetition there. It, your, your touch, your, your new swing mechanics, things like that, they can disappear. Um, and so that's, that's something that I've, I, I think we probably all have dealt with that in this last year, but I love the concept of the, um, juniors, like playing with the correct length of clubs And just like you said, um, playing with longer clubs creates so many incorrect, potentially incorrect um, swing variations with the heavier Mm -hmm. club, with the longer club. And so many people don't understand that. Like you said, it's like a grow into them. So when I saw that, I was like, yeah, I love that because I would rather have. uh, And I mean, these are small children as it is. You're asking them to swing this big club and you're like, this is this is not going to produce the result you're looking for. And let's think about it. Their muscles, if, if they're under the age of 10, let's even call under anybody that hasn't hit puberty yet, right? They have not developed the muscles to be able to hold something external from their, from their center, center mass and control it in motion because their muscles haven't been developed. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there. So um, I, one of the first lessons I already had, I had at, Bra- at Brookhaven in North Dallas, this girl, she's probably 12 and she was older, but her clubs, no kidding, were the size of a, probably roughly a nine or 10 year old kid. And I finally, after a couple months, cause she was, I mean, she was staying in posture, but she was bent down so much. I finally looked at her and I said, it's time. Let's go talk to your mom and dad. Let's get you a women's set of golf clubs. She, she was almost five foot and you know, playing with clubs of somebody that was closer to, you know, four foot eight. So that is so different in stature. Totally. And, um, it, you know, I finally looked at her, I said, it's time, let's go talk to mom and dad. And, you know, that's what I would rather someone do than, and those parents were great. Cause they were like, we were just going to let you guys tell us when we needed new clubs. And that's really what I would prefer. If I see it hindering someone's golf swing, that maybe they're bent down too much or, or, 
topping the ball every single time. That's when I'm going to come into the parent and say, Hey, I think it's time to, to fit them in new golf clubs. And, and I'd rather it be that way versus the parent saying, Hey, we got clubs for Christmas. And I'm like, Oh, great. This is steel shafted. Uh, the kid is 10, um, <laughs> has no business, you know, in a women's set of golf clubs um, when they're, you know, four foot five. Um, and I'm like, Oh, this is great. Let's cut them down six inches and see if they still work for them. You know, right. Um, totally. You know, or I, I, oftentimes I'm like, Hey, can you take these back to Dick's? I, I've done that multiple times. I'm like, we've only hit them for a couple of times today. Let's get your money back and I'll find you something on eBay. I've done that multiple times and I'm sure Dick's doesn't like me very much. <laughs> well, so one thing I wanted to touch on a little bit with junior golf before we move into adults breaking through is, um, how important it is for you as a teacher with, with dealing with juniors. I know, uh, the junior camps we do during the summer, how important it is to, there's certain kids that are going to love just straight up golf and be want to swing the club every minute of that junior camp, but how important it is to throw different games and different sports and uh, soccer balls, different, all these different stuff into junior golf to keep them interested and not just taking a million swings during a three hour junior clinic. You know, variety is everything. If you get an athlete in front of you versus a kid that has never even done karate, um, has never done dance, if you're a girl, um, those, those kids that have done the multiple sports are going to be exponentially ahead of the kids that can't throw, throw a baseball. And it's a simple throwing motion. How many times have you seen a kid that's never really picked up a baseball ever before? And if they're right-handed, they start and they step first with your right foot versus their totally. left foot to get the, the weight transfer to happen. They've already transferred their weight. So they, the ball goes into the ground or goes super high in the air. And it's just, so the throwing motion is like one of the best ways if you're working on kids and giving them like a athlete station, if you want to call it during your, during your, your, your summer, summer camps, I think it's really important to have that. And whether it be taking the soccer ball and doing like a, um, a little figure eight or a little zigzag between cones, talk about the coordination. It's just really important. I used to have the kids um, do like bear crawls, anything to get the core engaged, just fun. And like some, you know, the wheelbarrow where you, your hands are on the ground, your feet are on someone's arms, you know, and doing the two person wheelbarrow game just to get your, your shoulders working really well get them strong. And it's a fun game for the kids. Um, you know, anything that you can do to add excitement for them to come back. I don't care what it is. If it's ice cream at the end of every day, do it, do it. I, I totally agree. Actually, funny story about that. And it's kind of the, the day and age we live in. Um, but I was doing junior league a few years back or no, well, it was pre COVID. So 2019 and, uh, it was our last day of junior league. And so I brought everybody ice cream sandwiches and only like two kids ended up taking them because everybody was either gluten-free dairy free. Oh. oh, I was, I was just, it was so, it was so brutal for oh. me. I was like, Oh my God. I, there would have been nothing more that I would have loved as like a 10 year old it was somebody <laughs> offering me an ice cream sandwich. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, that the was, thought was, the thought was probably there for the kids though. I, I hope they... so. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I, I at least tried. And there was like two kids who probably ate 12 of them. So that wasn't really great either, but uh, yeah, you know, that, that, that was funny. <laughs> in Texas, we used, I used to, you know, every Friday we'd have some sort of water balloon fight and, something to keep them coming back. Cause in Texas it's so humid and hot. Yeah. Um, it's awesome to get a little bit, uh, get a little bit drenched there. 
because uh, it just cools you off. The, the wind, because there's always just a tad bit of wind. Here, it's hot, and you do a water balloon fight, and it you're dry in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. water, it didn't even happen. Water balloon fights are a staple of our junior camp. They, yeah. The last day, the last hour is always a water balloon fight, and then hitting the the picker, somebody in the picker with water balloons as well. Absolutely. That is the most fun. If you're not doing that in your full swing, having the picker drive by back and forth, those kids, that's what they die for. That's what they come for. They don't care about the ice cream. They really don't care about the water balloon, but they care about that darn picker. If you can hit the picker, you have won. That is what they're going to go home and talk to their parents about on the way home. Mom, I nailed the picker twice. (laughs) Totally. That's a monumental thing for them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So one thing before we move on, I, I, I'm a big believer. This is kind of my, my model of junior golf. I tell parents all the time, I want the kids kicking and screaming, leaving versus kicking and screaming, coming. So if totally. the kid at any point is like, man, mom, I don't want to come. Let them have a couple weeks break. You know, don't, don't force a kid to do anything. You're never going to get what you want out of it. There are incentives. I do believe that you can always do and say, hey, give me two more times. If it works, great. If not, I think that negotiation should be happening. But I'm a big believer. I have never found a successful lesson when the kid's crying before we even start. Of course, I'm really good at getting them to talk and getting them to have a good time. But them enjoying it long term just isn't probably going to happen if they're crying before the lesson starts. Yeah, I feel like golf is the is I I think it's the best sport in a lot of ways, but I think it's the toughest sport in a lot of ways in that there's a, I think there's a quicker level of burnout in golf for kids, especially than there is any other sport. Cause other sports you can kind of, it's like an athletic move. You're moving around. You're, you know, if you're not good at volleyball, maybe you're good at basketball or this or that, but golf, it's like, if you like parents want their kids to be so good at golf and want them to do only golf, that it's just such a quick burnout. If you don't, because you have like in golf, you can't just be athletically inclined and show up and be great. In other sports, yep. you can you can at least get your way through high school, junior, yep. you know, all that stuff. But in golf, if you don't have fundamentals and technique and, and learn things correctly, you're just not going to be good. Yep. All right. Before we move on, we got to tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. So we're into the Sweet 16 this weekend. There's been some crazy upsets. Oral Roberts is still alive as a 15 seed. We got two 11 seeds, UCLA and Syracuse still alive. And none of the action has disappointed. So DraftKings is allowing you, new customers, to sign up with the code DNVR and bet $1 on any tournament game. And if that team wins, you win $100. Take Gonzaga, that's a safe bet. So you're turning $1 into $100 this weekend. And if you don't want to bet basketball, there's UFC 260 this weekend. So betting, you're getting 100 to 1 odds on a UFC fighter from UFC 260 this weekend. Francis Ngannou's fighting should be a great one. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use that promo code DNVR when you sign up and turn $1 into $100 on any college basketball team or UFC fight of your choosing. That's code DNVR to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. New customers only. Colorado only. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Now back to the second half of our interview. 
let's move on to uh, this. This is one of your my, my favorite slides that you presented because we actually did kind of talk about this. Our, one of our last podcasts was like how to golf for for less expensive or for cheaper because it's just flat out not a cheap sport and it's not. Uh, it, I guess I should say it's, it can be more inexpensive if you find certain ways to do it. And so uh, one of your slides was talked about equipment and use uh, use clubs versus new clubs and then how often to replace it and how often or when you should get fit for clubs. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So good clubs, in my opinion, and not to knock anybody because there's always, there's always that uh, outlier out there. So, so, I'm going to preface with that. Okay. The new box sets that you find uh, off the shelf at Walmart or, um, or Dick's oftentimes are not as good a quality as something used. That's probably two or three years old that we can find maybe on eBay, or oftentimes you'll find uh, used sets that are, that are sold to PJ Superstore. Um, sometimes play it against sports. We'll have a decent use sets. I think even if we're here in Denver, Lenny's, Skiing, skiing golf usually has some good used stuff as well. Look for that good quality used set of golf clubs. And it could be that you're piecing together a set of irons that might cost you. And, and I think you can get a good, decent, uh, let's say four or five year old set of irons for around $450, $500. Um, and then piece together, you might need another hybrid a five wood or, or one or eat one or both, right? You might just do a hybrid or you might do just a five wood, a driver, maybe a sand wedge and a putter. And I can typically like a lot of times I'll find kids that are almost ready for a, um, an adult set. And I'm like, mom, dad, let's get a regular graphite set. Let me cut them down an inch. Let's spend $750 on eBay. And then when they get older, high school wise, they'll, you know, when we get sophomore year and they're pretty good, we'll get them a custom set at that point. We'll spend $1,500 on a set of golf clubs, but same thing for adults. So let's find something that is, you know, $750, $800 um, on eBay. That's a really good set. So you're not, oftentimes if you walk up to the first tee and that person comes up and you see a, a, a set of, uh, let's call it McGregor, all those old um, sets of golf clubs that are from Walmart. Um, what are they now? Wilson's sometimes. Yeah, they, they have Rams. Rams was like my Rams, first new set of clubs. Rams, that's the one. Yes. And when you see them in the guy's bag, you're going, oh man, this is going to be a day, isn't it? And, and not to be bad. <laughs> and I'm not saying anything bad, but you're sitting there going, man, this guy's going to totally be- Totally get it. Right? Yep. And so- Walk up there with a decent used set of golf clubs. Nobody's going to think otherwise. And if you play bad, somebody's just going to be saying, man, here's my thing. To look good and look professional on the golf course, show up on the first tee, know what you're doing, take a practice swing, stand behind it, aim, aim a shot. And if you duff it, someone just be like, man, they really prepared for that shot. It's just a missed hit. That happens, right? But when you just whack it and have no pre-shot routine whatsoever – people are like, this is going to be a day. This is, this is, this is going to be a day. Um, so that's my thoughts. If you walk up on the first tee and you, and you have a decent quality set of golf clubs, even if they're a couple years old, you look like when you know what you're doing. Okay. As far as replacing equipment, uh, drivers, I'm a big believer three to five years. Um, technology these days, they are doing so much, um, in that head of golf, uh, in that head, um, of your driver that, two to three, three, five years, five years max. Um, so that means like even like M6, 
M2, M1 might still be okay if you're in the tailor-made line. But if you're in the R's, if you're in like R12, R9, or R11, I mean, you're probably out of date. Um, so irons wise, every five to seven years, wedges depends on how often you practice and how often you play. Because wedges typically are, are clubs that you're gonna hit a lot more around the greens. You're gonna be 50 yards away from the golf, um, from the center of the green quite a bit. So wedges are gonna be the, um, the one, the kicker. And that really totally hinges on how much and how active you play. If you don't play but twice a year, and you've got clubs that barely have any like dirt on them at all, you could probably be five years in every wedge. But, you know, so I, I that's kind of my, my, my ideas, drivers three to five, irons five to seven, and then wedges every two to three years, depending on how often you play. And then getting fit, to be honest, you, you, it's hard to fit somebody that can't hit the center of the face of the club. Um, we can get a good rough um, static, um, measurement and that would be like wrist to floor um if you bend over more than the other you might need shorter golf clubs if your arms are t uh, typically maybe just a little longer or if they hang lower you might need longer golf uh, shorter golf clubs you know those things we we just need it would be more of a static measurement than more of a um a dynamic measurement and we really want that club to be moving um in order to fit you really well and also to, if you can't hit the center of the face it's it's really it's, it's kind of a waste of time, to be honest. And I'm not, I hope nobody gets offended by that, but it, no, no, we're all in the know, same boat on that one. It's, it's yeah. like somebody wants to be fit and they make contact one out of every five balls. I, I want to just be like, dude, I, please don't buy this new set of clubs that I'm about to tell right. you that fits you. Cause I don't know for <laughs> sure. And number two, you can go find something else for a lot cheaper that is going to get you a consistent swing and a consistent contact at some point, And then you can go to a new set of clubs. Yeah. And so here, Kelly, I have another question mm -hmm. for you. Cause I think we all, um, I think it, it's a tough kind of line to draw, but everybody's always when, when they go to get uh, fit for clubs or they're considering getting fit for clubs, they're like, and, and I tell people this all the time. I'm like, well, I'm, I don't want to fit you for clubs if you're just going to go and change your swing. Um, yep. but at the same time, I mean, everybody's swing is altering, especially as, as you get, if you're a junior, as you get older. Um, so where do you draw the line with like, well, I want to wait to get fit, um, for this, for, for how I play right now. And then if I do work on my swing, when do I get fit again in the future or something, something of that nature, if that makes sense. You know, um, so basically what your question is like, how, where do you, where does it become a lesson or where does it become more of a, Hey, let's, let's back burner this. Let's think about getting fit, but let's work on your swing a little bit longer. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, exactly. Cause I mean, people, they want to get fit, but they're, like you said, they're so inconsistent. They don't have any center strikes. And it, it, I guess it, it may not even be a question, but it's just such a challenge because, um, all instructors and I do a lot of fitting too, but it's, it gets to the point where people think getting fit is more beneficial. Like we kind of talked about earlier, getting fits more beneficial than getting lessons. And that's, I, I feel like that's kind of a, a challenge in and of itself. Um, I think that's almost backwards to me. Okay. Okay. Uh, so what you just said to what I'm hearing, I think is that you said some people think that it's almost more beneficial to get fitted than get lessons. I think oftentimes it's 
better to start with some lessons and then go get fit. No, I totally agree. But what right? I like with, with retail or with just everybody's general mind, I mean, you yeah. run into your, your run of the mill 12, 15 handicap. Um, they think that that $600 driver is going to improve their game more <laughs> than a lesson. So it, yeah, that's tough. It, yeah. It, it's a, it's a tough line. And I don't think people really understand um, it. Like I said, there's been an alert. I, there's always a learning curve going on with what you, what we as instructors and it, 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 I wouldn't say it falls on us, but it, they kind of come to us for uh, advice. And so it is tough. Like, do I want to fit you right now? And there's honestly been people on the lesson tee where I'm like, I, I honestly don't. And it's mostly people that I've never dealt with before. You know, they just, right. they just get scheduled for fitting, but there's some people where I just want to flat out be like, I, I think we shouldn't even fit you right now because your swing is not in the place where, I should be fitting you for golf clubs and I am trying to make you repeat this motion. That's going to fit these golf clubs. It's, it's a weird thing. It is. And you know, I, it's, it's delicate, especially when someone comes to me that got fitted and maybe it was a bad fitting. I've had that happen a couple of times when you're like, Oh mm-hmm. God, how do you break this to this person? They spent probably $300 alone on the fitting. And then it comes to me and I'm like, gosh, you know, I get where they were coming from, right? Totally do. But their swing is so jacked up. There's no way that this in, in six months is going to be right for them. And it's a hard, you know, it's a hard kind of battle to sit there and go, okay, do I start this, this, these golf clubs are super upright. And I get the fitter was trying to get the ball online, but gosh, um, if, ah, okay. So, you know, it's like stepping into a, a landmine going, okay, tiptoe here, tiptoe there. Let's yeah, work on this. To, you got to right? tread lightly for sure. Yeah. Cause, and just like you said, so many people stand it up at impact when they Ooh. first start out. And so, I, I mean, I'm, I've seen people go, they get fit and they're four to five degrees upright. I'm like, it, unless you're Yao Ming, I, I don't think you need a club that's going to basically the shaft is going to be 90 degrees to, to the, to the head. Like, and there's anomalies, like you said, but there's just some things where I'm like, I can't wrap my head around that. And the thing that I have found is that, and there's great, great, great fitters out there that I've found. Um, but typically if, if the great fitter has had a little bit of instruction background, they're phenomenal because they start to understand, they go, gosh, I see this wrong in that golf swing. But if I'm just fitting to this swing right now, I'd probably do this, but I know, and, and that's the first question I think every fitter should say is say, are you working with somebody? You know, are you, are you taking golf lessons? Cause where's this going to go? Right. And that I think lies a little bit more on the fitters background, hopefully um, totally. that will say, okay, so I, can you give me a little bit of information about what you're working on with your golf instructor? And then that would give me as a fitter, a lot more background as to how I need to fit for the, for, for this person, particularly. Um, and, you know, I, I have no problem. And I tell my people this all the time. If you, I have a good guy that I work with over at Club Champion. If I have no problem sitting in that, in that um, fitting with you, if you want my time, I have be happy to, to freebie. I have no problem. If I, if you can work it around my calendar, I have no problem going up to get fitted with you because um, he and I will sit there and I've, I've a couple suggestions. I'm like, hi, what do you think about a little heavier shaft? He goes, that's exactly where I was going. And I was like, okay. We're both on the right track. That's wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's good for me to be there because I'm going to sit there and say, hey, 
that was a miscue. That was a bad swing. Don't, you know, every now and then that's going to happen. Let's hit five more. You know, that was a bad five. Um, so that's yeah. not what we were working on. You know, he's back to a little bit over the top. Um, and that's for me to say, Hey, John, don't forget, try to shallow just a little bit more. And then that fitter goes, oh, okay, so that's where we're going. Right. Yeah. You're almost fitting the people for the clubs that you're for the swing you're working towards more than the swing. It, like you said, if it's a miss hit or anything like that. And that is such an important thing too. And, uh, that you really only see as an instructor or as a fitter or both is that, uh, there's, there's such a fine line to draw, but I, I don't think, I, I just want to help people understand better what a fitting is, what a, and right. what a lesson is and when to do both of them. <laughs> because some, a lot of times the, the, the sequence in which they're done can be backwards. So. Right. And, and I think, probably finding a couple lessons before you go get fit would be a definite, I think a plus, um, not just for me, but just for you getting a better experience when you go to get fitted. Totally agree. Yeah. So now, um, we, in this hypothetical breaking through situation, we've got somebody fit, we've got possibly the right clubs for them or just some clubs to get started. And now they're getting out on the course what are a few things you recommend for maybe that first time going out on the course, or uh, I'm going to do a shameless little plug. Uh, one of your points was leagues and we actually just started, we just announced this on Wednesday. Uh, we are going to have a DNVR golf league this year where we're going to do a traveling league and go to city park and spring Valley and uh, fossil trace and common ground. And so kind of getting people that just got into the game of golf last year into playing some, competitive golf's not the right word, but like, a, you have to, you know, be there at this certain time and kind of make a commitment to it. And it really yeah. helps people catch the bug. So talk a little bit about like getting into leagues. And then when you get out on the course in a league, having the proper etiquette out on the golf course. Yeah. So, um, leagues are everywhere. And I think it's awesome that you guys are going to do a, a league for DNVR. I'd be happy. I'd, I'd love to come and play a couple times with you guys. So that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Be You're always invited. Um, so oh, good. Um, so the thing about, uh, finding a league, almost every golf course in the Denver Metro area has something and whether it be Aurora doing their own thing together as the city golf courses there, um, or you're just going out to green Valley and they have something, I guarantee you, everybody has something. And it may be one course only does female leagues. One course maybe only does juniors, but there's something out there for everybody. You just got to keep like, researching and finding. Um, Colorado Golf Association is a great resource for if, you, if you're a little bit better and you wanna play some competitive golf, uh, they have some amateur events out there. Um, I'm gonna tell you the only way to test your ability and to see if the things that you are working on um, and whether they're going in the right direction is adding some sort of pressure. The only way that you can tell if you're progressing in the right way is to add pressure in some sort of a tournament atmosphere or going and playing with somebody that makes you nervous. That's the only way that you're going to be able to tell whether you're getting better or whether what you're working on is the right thing. Um, so test yourself. You cannot do enough of that. Having a gen is super important um, to be able to test each year to see on your progress. Um, yeah. And that's thing actually one of our, our things too, that we're really pushing this year is, so if you get a DNVR golf membership, you get 
a CGA membership with that as well. So we're a partner with the CGA and we're really trying to get people to get into the CGA and really push those memberships for everybody. But like you just said, without even being prompted, having a gin and having a handicap is so important to test your progress, to see where you were at. It, nothing better than some people that have been at a 10 their whole lives and now they're a five and they they can say that and not just say, oh, maybe I've gotten better. Maybe I haven't. The proof is there when you have a handicap. So yep. signing up for the DNBR golf membership and getting that handicap, you can track your progress. And that's that's part of the game. That's part of what makes this right. fun yep. is getting better. You, some people like to play and like to be bad. And that's we love those people, too. <laughs> but everybody that plays this game and improves has a way better time. Absolutely. So um, moving into like etiquette, making tee times, um, calling the golf course is a simple thing. Um, after you get done practicing on their range, go in and say, hey, you, you got anything for tomorrow? Um, making tee times, calling online booking systems are everywhere. Um, so don't be afraid to use it. I, I always encourage people, if you're newer to golf, try to make a tee time, if you want to call it later on in the day, or call the course and say, hey, easiest thing to say, hey, Mitchell, I'm kind of newer to golf. Um, if I'm trying, if I take a little bit more time than anybody else, like when's your less busy time to come out and I'm not going to feel pressured to like be 15 minutes, every hole or 12 minutes, every hole Then I can kind of have a relaxed time with my husband. If that's what it is, if it's a, if it's a female or a wife trying to get into golf, when's the, when's the least active time that I'm not going to feel embarrassed. That's the easiest thing to do and call them up. Most people, most people. People on the other end of that line are going to be understanding of your worries and your fears. You just got to talk to them. Um, yeah. And then, T- yeah, right. You guys talk a little bit about that. That's inc- right. How many? How yeah. often did you get that phone call, though? Oh, and yeah, and I think the biggest jump we saw last year um, with beginners was twilight uh, rounds, um, which is awesome, and that's beneficial for the golf course in multiple ways. Um, but and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but there's nothing worse than a group of four beginners making a 10 a.m. tea time and they play five and a half, six hours and your entire course is backed up the rest of the day. And, you know, there's, it's a fine line because they're paying just like everybody else, you know, we're not get, really going right. to jump down their throat. Um, but at the same time, it's like kind of understand where you're at with it. And it comes from the customer side too, where it's a comfortability thing, but like, like you said, if I want to drop a ball and, and hit another shot, if I want to um, try a few different areas, like I, if I want to hit a few extra chip shots, uh, what's the last tee time? And I feel like that was kind of a challenge this last year because there was hardly a tee time to be had anywhere. Um, right. But that I love that idea. And, and plus it's more cost effective. Uh, generally speaking, you come out later, you're going to pay less and it's a gorgeous time of day. You know, it's, you can't really go wrong with those later tea times. Those Colorado sunsets, they, you cannot beat that on the golf course. You um, can't. But to, to talk a little bit more about that, Mitchell, if you get it four beginners that are making a 10 a.m. tea time, they are paying. But the one thing that you don't want those people to do is walk away from that having a terrible experience because the jackasses behind them totally. uh, are hitting into them, being rude, you know, and that, that is tough for that person that feels like they're getting held up, right? Totally. That is an, I mean, it's, it's murderous to sit there in 30 minutes for a par five. That's yeah. like so long. 
And so it's hard. I totally understand the the frustration. How you handle it is another thing, right? But totally. But also for that person, know where you are. I think that's really important. And you know, and and talk to talk to the talk to. If if I'm the customer, I encourage you to talk to the golf course and say, "Hey, we are beginners." But one thing that you can do better as a beginner is take less practice swings. Don't hit extra shots. Be mindful about how much time you take between shots. Be ready to hit when it's your turn. Those things are so important if you're a beginner, just knowing those things. And that's simple etiquette as well, right? Being prepared for your shot. Be hitting in a timely manner, right? And um, also in between shots, not lollygagging or not dancing, dancing over there on your golf club because you're drunk half the time, you know, I mean. Spencer <laughs> but, loves to do that. That's Spencer's thing. But, <laughs> can't take that away from me. And that's, that's right. That's beginner <laughs> etiquette that really needs to be addressed. And it's hard to know that as a golf professional behind the counter, unless someone tells you that, hey, we're kind of beginners, just so you know. Um, at that point, I think the, the person behind the counter says, hey, feel free to let people play through. It is a very frustrating uh, situation from behind if you're taking extra shots, extra, extra, <laughs> extra time between shots um, and taking too many practice swings. Uh, be prepared to hit, you know, or, and don't be afraid to let them play through. If you know you're slower, let them play through. Uh, well, as far I think as Oh, yeah, sorry. Ahead. I was just to say one thing that I think is super important that you said earlier is it's not only we're not just sitting here bashing beginners and saying they shouldn't play, no. but they for I guess we shouldn't say we're not saying they shouldn't play for the golf course's sake necessarily or the other people's sake, but it's also for their sake. Like you said, if they're going to have a bad time, if people are pushing them, the marshals talk to them three times, they're not going to come back. And so it's, yeah. it's a, everybody wins when you understand where you're at in this game and, and figure out ways to make it more fun. Even just, even if that's something as simple as teeing off at two thirty instead of 1130, right. something like that. And I think we need to make sure that um, better golfers, or even if it's not better golfers, more experienced golfers need to be mindful. They were there too. You know, they were there. Nobody woke up. Nobody was born. Nobody came out of the womb of their mother being able to, to swing a golf club and play, except for maybe Tiger Woods, maybe, <laughs> you know, I still feel like he had to practice at a two-year-old age. Okay. <laughs> But I'm just going to tell you, nobody, nobody was born with the ability to be great from the beginning. You were born with athleticism and you were born with the drive to get better. Right. And I, and I true, truly believe that you can still work and, and, and get better at both of those two things, the drive and the ability. Right. Um, and, but I, I seriously, I think some people forget they were there too at some point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that's kind of a challenge that uh, us as well, Spencer and I like running Spring Valley um, run into a little bit. And, and I would say Spring Valley is better than a lot of places, but just making trying to create a very inclusive atmosphere and, and people um, realizing that there are beginners out there and, and making the more right. experienced people more understanding of like, it's a Saturday morning. You're not going to play in four hours. <laughs> you know, it's, it's tempering the expectation of um, the pace of play. And, and honestly, I mean, it's, it's a fine line because I'm a big pace of play advocate. Like I, 
I don't I, – I, I think guys on tour playing five-and-a-half, six-hour rounds is a little uh, asinine to say the least. But at the same time, <laughs> if, 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 if you're working a, a, a Monday – if you're working banker's hours nine to five Monday through Friday and, and you come out for a Saturday morning – 10 o'clock round you're out there to enjoy yourself you know there yep. in my opinion I don't think you need to rush around and and feel like unless you made plans before or afterwards <laughs> and that's kind of like sitting down at a restaurant and saying I have 15 minutes to eat you know and I like you, you kind of take to, my order can you yeah, take my order it, hurry up exactly it's like no this is if you plan on playing golf you kind of need to to take what comes along with it if you do play a little slower and and plan around it but that is that's another one of the challenges with all these new players is just helping everybody be inclusive and understand, like you said, exactly that everybody was there at some point and nobody is going to just know everything right off the bat. So there is a, a very sizable learning curve when it comes to the course etiquette, the just about everything about golf. It's one of the tougher sports to get into. And that's what we're trying to push is making it, more accessible, more inclusive. And, and so, uh, I, I agree with all the tips you gave and I love all of them. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. She, yeah. Kelly, Kelly knows what she's doing. Um, she sometimes. <laughs> and I'm not, well, here's the deal. I was told a long time ago, that there was two things that I was told one by a golf instructor and one by my mom, the golf instructor, um, his name is Joey Anders awesome. He coached Jordan from the ages of, um, eight until about 11 or 12. So he had a pretty good influence on Jordan Spieth. Okay. Joyce told me this was, he was the golf instructor. I came into Brookhaven. I was over him and, um, really didn't have any business being there. I mean, he has had 10 years plus more experience than I have in the golf business, but he, he wanted to teach and that's what he wanted to teach. I, I didn't mind doing a minute, little administrative work. And, and he told me, he goes, the worst thing you can do for a child is be their last golf instructor. He goes, that means you've done something wrong. Yeah. That, I, I, and, I like that. I haven't heard that, but that's, it's, it's so true. Like you, you don't right? want to be the one that pushes them out of this game. Yeah. Right. And he said, make it fun. Make them want to come back. He goes, that, those two are my biggest pet peeves. If you're drilling them, drilling them, drilling them, drilling them, they're never going to come back. And he said, and I, I will tell you this, uh, Jordan and I played games from day one. Who can get it closest from this pile of dirt? Who can get it over the bunker, land short, and then spin back? Who can get, you know, and he said, we, he goes, that kid was doing it at 10 years old was hitting downhill bunker shots to a short-sided pin to see if he could spin it and get it close at 10 years old. That's insane. That's awesome. He goes, I've never seen anybody like that. It's incredible. He goes, one of the first lessons I talked to him about working the ball. He goes, what do you do with an eight-year-old that can get the ball in the air? He goes, <laughs> you work on seeing how high he can hit it, if he can hit it low, if he can hit it to the right, if he can get it to the left. He said, that's what I did with an eight-year-old Jordan Speed. <laughs> that that is unbelievable that's next level for sure and my mother told me one time she goes uh you're never too good to be wrong oh i love that that's um, great being wrong is okay doesn't mean you're stupid um be humble you know and that's basically what she was saying you can never be too um, too 
enough humble to, to be wrong. You know, you, you can, you can always be wrong and it's okay. Yeah. I need to wake like up and that. tell myself that every morning. <laughs> and, and my dad I'm... told me, my dad told me, he goes, and I'm never too good, honey, to, to dig ditches for you to have food. That's what he told me. I love Respect. That. I love that. Uh, so now yeah. that we've, we've discussed kind of juniors and we've discussed yep. breaking into the game as a beginner, um, you did a really good pre- part of your presentation on breaking 190, 80, 70, and how yep. to practice and how to become, you know, once you've gotten into the game, you've gotten the etiquette down, you feel like you're comfortable on the course. How do you get better and how, and what does it take to get better? So, well, you got to practice a little bit and, and I, I'm okay with a little bit of practice as long as it's good quality practice, not quantity. Quantity is beating golf balls. And how many times do you guys have ding caddies on your range or do you have range, range buckets? Buckets. Okay. Have you ever seen somebody take a bucket and just pour it all out? And you're like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to, I'm going to watch this guy practice for a little bit. Let's <laughs> see how it goes. Right. No, I would rather somebody take that bucket and set it upright, grab two or three golf balls out. Okay. Work on something for those two or three golf balls and leave the rest of them in the bucket. Don't pour them on the ground, take two or three out at a time, be meaningful and mindful about how you're hitting each shot is going to produce a lot better uh, result. So I'm a big believer 30 minutes a a week uh, of, of hitting on the range um, that would mean block practice versus random practice. So block practice is going to be where you're drilling something and you're hitting a seven iron the whole time and trying to work on your swing. That is block practice. That is rehearsals. That is you're taking time with each shot. I, I tell people all the time, be mindful about how many shots your mind sees that are terrible. Your brain is going to process how bad that is. And then you're going to keep thinking about how terrible you are. If you take your time behind it, rehearse something that your golf instructor or that you've seen on YouTube, whatever you want to do, if you're rehearsing something and having a meaningful um, shot for that golf golf ball, then that's when you're going to get better. I tell people all the time, use that golf ball, pretend it's a test. If you haven't practiced or you haven't studied for that test, don't hit it. Don't hit it. You have to study because you're just going to wing it every single time. So 15 minutes ish of block practice and then randomize your practice, hit to different targets, hit different shots, try to fade the ball, try to draw the ball. Um, Tiger Woods used to do the, the, the nine windows, right? High left, high straight, high right, middle trajectory, left, middle straight, middle right. And then you're doing your lower trajectories, lower left, lower straight, lower right. Play the window game. That's a great game to play. Um, and that should be done after you've done your block practice. Um, and that's for full swing. After that, you should be doing, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes of short game work. Again, five minutes or so of block practice. And then change your, randomize your, your, your practice. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, play nine holes around the green uh, of the short game area. Um, I want you to tell me how many times. So nine times three would be 27, right? So that means you're bogeying every hole. If you can get to where you're anywhere in between 18 and 27, that's great. Um, That's awesome. Get to where you can um, have fun or playing three shots, three balls from this. And I want you to hit three different trajectories and try to get up and down. Um, So that means you're going to hit a high shot, a middle shot, a low shot, 
find, find out where they are, try to put them in, see how well you can do on the trajectory game. Hitting it high, hitting it soft, uh, hitting it in the middle and hitting it low as well. Um, and then putting. Um, I'm a big believer in putting um, that you should be working on your stroke inside of 10 feet and then 30 feet and out is all speed work. Um, almost, I would say if, if I was gonna, if somebody was gonna ask me what's more important speed or, or direction, I would say speed all day, speed all day. If you can't somewhat hit it close at 24 feet, then we are going to have a lot of three putts and a lot of four putts. Yeah. So. You, you don't, you don't three putt because you miss the direction that bad. You, no. you hit it 10 feet past or you leave it 10 feet short. Yep. And, and, you know, I will tell you, I kind of, I am different sometimes when it's a putting lesson, you know, so many people, you know, hit it up there on the green and they put it and they're at 10 feet and they miss it like two inches short of the hole. And they're like, gosh, if I would have hit it, I'm like, yeah, but let's think about this. You're not going to three putt from 10 feet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So would I, and, and people always, I forgot there was a podcast that I listened to and they were talking about a pro doing that. And the guy, I think it was a sports psychologist, maybe Brett McCabe and the Brett goes, he's has a no stress par. He's happy. He's putting his club in the bag and he's focused on his next shot. This guy has an eight footer for par. This guy just tapped it in for par. This guy over here is struggling to make a par from eight feet. That is the worst. When you have <laughs> eight footers for par all day, talk about your mind just is so stressed out. Um, I also talk to people about like tour averages. What's, what's important there is having the understanding that we see on TV the best of the best because they're not going to put somebody on there that's three putting all day and barely making the cut. We we've don't know that guy's name. We've talked about this so many times. Like it's, it's so great because like, like you said, you're, I think it was, we kind of tr trashed him that he's on PGA tour and he's making way more money than I am. But like, I think his name is Robert Gomez <laughs> shot like a 95 the other day and, and he made like four pars in a round. And it happens like it happens to yeah. everybody, you know, like it's not just us. And so, yeah, I guess talk a little bit more about expectations and those uh, and tour averages, because people think that they, they should make every 10 footer, even yeah. including me. We all do. You know, you see it four times in a round. You're like, gosh, I'm going to make one of them. And you know what, to be honest, that's probably one out of four is probably a good, a good, uh, a good ratio, by the way. So three fit, three footers. Um, the PGA tour makes 95% of them. So that means five out of a hundred they're missing. Keep that in mind, right? From three feet at five feet, it goes down to 75%. So three out of four, three out of four, they, they make one out of four, they miss, right? Um, at eight feet, they're at right under 50%. They're at 49%. And strokes gain right there is 1.5. So that means on average, um, if you know anything about strokes gain from that point, they are making one and the other guy might be making a two. So you average that out to 1.5. So they're making fit right under 50% of their eight footers. So I always tell people at three feet, I think we can be very similar to guys on the PGA tour. I think you can be upwards of 90 and that would be a nine out of 10 scenario. I'm way okay with that. When you get back to five feet, I think 50% at five feet should be very manageable for someone. Um, and then at eight feet, 25-ish, eight to 10 feet. I think if you can get 25, maybe anywhere from 15 to 25%, I think we're doing pretty good. 
Um, at 33 feet is where PGA Tour toggles between 7% they make and 7% they three putt. So seven and seven is 14. So 86% of the time, uh, my, my math is terrible. Is that right? 86% yeah, that's of the time. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I always check myself. I'm like, where's my calculator? 86% <laughs> of the time, they're two putting. So I tell people all the time, I think we can be there at 86% of the time we're two putting. We may be a little bit more on the on the 14% three putt make, uh, but for sure, we're going to roll one every once in a while from 30 feet and plus. Um, and then if you go all the way back to almost 50 feet, if you go to 48 feet, you're at 3% make on the PGA Tour and 15% three putt. So you'll see it just keeps increasing. The further you get back, it is really tough to gauge speed because not very many greens are that big that you're going to have a 50 to 60 foot putt. So yeah, that's totally well. And so I don't want to go like too deep on it here too, but when you talk about strokes gain, um, it kind of goes back to, and I've had this conversation with uh, certain people I've given lessons to and they're like, I just feel like I don't make enough putts. And some of my buddies, you know, I can be a little bit more straight up with them. I'm like, well, maybe you're just not hitting it close enough. Uh, and, and the statistics yeah. blatantly show that. Like you can't mm -hmm. lean on, on scrambling and making 10 footers all day. You'll have a, you'll throw a round out here and there where you feel like every 10, 12 footer you look at is right in the center. But uh, statistically speaking, the closer you hit it, the better chance you're going to have of making pars and making birdies versus making doubles and making bogeys. So um, that's something too, that people really don't understand. They think, like, like we were talking about, they think they should make more putts and it, it really stems from yeah. their ball striking, which stems from their strokes gained off the tee. And most people don't keep those stats obviously, but uh, it all intertwines itself and, and people want to lean on putting or, or lean yeah. on chipping. And it's like hit more greens, hit it closer. And that's where instruction comes in and lesson comes in. So it's uh it's fun to talk about. Yeah. And I break it down. Like I had a 22 handicap the other day that we were breaking down what it takes to get closer to a, a 15. And I'm like, you're not far off. It's, it's hitting more fairways. And that will result in hitting a few more greens. If you're in yeah. the hay all day, good luck. <laughs> oh, it is. It is the worst. You don't have to talk about me, fairway, Kelly. I'm right here. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> but it yeah, you stressful. you saw him on the you saw him on the launch monitor. Holy shit! I think he's. I, I think he probably put a dent in the right side of your, uh, your screen. <laughs> no. no, not at all, man. <laughs> uh, not at all. It, I thought he did great. <laughs> oh, that's sweet of you. He's he. That's a he'll he'll put that feather in his cap. I actually mm -hmm. think he hit it more left than he did right, didn't he? You know what? No, I thought we were getting to fade the ball pretty good. I thought we were talking about some things. We had some concepts going. Yeah, we I like that. We were working and, on it. I'm coming for you, Mitchell. Don't you worry. Until until he gets under a little bit of pressure, and then it's just the the balloon ball. But anywho, we'll okay. So that's hey. So just a thought here, guys. I was talking about it with a gentleman today. Super super nice guy. But this guy has so much club head speed. It is insane. That guy. It's like six five. Okay. When I first saw him, I'm like, do I get intimidated just because he's so tall and he's like this burly guy or do I just, oh, 
he came to me. He came to me, Kelly, you know? That's right. <laughs> but it does intimidate you. He's like just a giant. And so, um, so, so anyways, um, so we were talking about it and I said, okay. I said, the worst thing that you can do is say, don't hit it in the bunker. I said, your brain doesn't process the negative. Okay. So get that through your brain. You can always say that, but you can say, okay, I don't want to miss it here, but this is what I do want to do. I want I, and, and have the concept in your brain that you need to, let's say, and this is what I told him. I said, if you don't want to miss it left, what do you have to do in order to not miss it left? I said, what trumps anything besides um, club path face of your, of your club trumps everything in the ball direction and where the ball travels. So I said, if you have, if you know your out of bounds is left or water's left and you know that you can't miss it there, you should be repeating to yourself, leave the face open, leave the face open, fade the ball, fade the ball, fade the ball. And I said, recognize what you don't want to do, but always end with your brain before you hit that shot as to what you want to do with that shot. You can, you have to turn it from negative to positive because your brain will not process it. How many times do you tell yourself, don't hit in the water, you hit in the water. Don't hit in the bunker, you hit in the bunker. End with, okay, I don't want to hit it here, but if I leave the face open, I'm going to be on the right side of the fairway. Okay, face open, right side of the fairway, face open, right side of the fairway. And I said, there's nothing wrong with you. If there's nobody around, you just say it out loud to yourself. Get up over the ball and say, okay, I'm going to fade this ball. It's going to start on the left side of the green. It's going to fade back into the, to, to the, to the pen. Perfect. Okay. Left side of the green, fade into the pin. Left side of the green, fade into the pin. You know, there's nothing wrong with you over that shot. And if it ends up, people are around and you're too embarrassed to say it out loud, say it in your brain. Your brain needs something to focus on while it's over the ball. Yeah, and that's totally. actually the last the last thing I wanted to get into with you before we let you go. And thank you so much again for your time. But really oh, the yeah. mental game and the few tips that you would give a, a really good player just a and I mean, just somebody beginning of what, what they should think about. And I think one of your, one of your good examples that I saw, and I, we talked about it on the podcast because of how impressive it was, was like Max Homa when he got put in like the worst yeah. situations ever oh. and still ended up winning the tournament. Just talk a little bit of, I mean, it's the most important thing. Like you can have the greatest swing ever and be the worst golfer ever. And you can be, you can have a swing that looks like you should probably shoot 110 and be shooting in the seventies. So talk a little bit about how important the mental game is. Right. Well, mental game, like if you're mentally tough, you can get through anything. And when you get to that point, and I'll tell you this, I saw something on a podcast or an interview the other day, and somebody is talking about really good golfers are the, are the internal optimist. And I think it was, might've been Jordan Spieth that was, had an interview and some, you know, for a while there, he was just t terrible and terrible for him is great for anybody. Right. Yeah. But he, it was not to up to his standard and you could tell it was wearing on him and he get questions about it all the time. And he get questions and are you feeling like you're doing the right thing? Are you and Cameron working on the right thing and all this stuff. And he finally said, you know what guys, I, I feel like we all are out here feeling like we're one swing away from winning a golf tournament. We are one swing thought away from winning a golf tournament. And it's that mental optimism that is so important for you to be successful at golf. Knowing that there's always a better tomorrow because not every day is going to be the same in golf. Um, having just something that you can control throughout the round is going to make you a much better mentally prepared golfer. 
And what I mean by that is that things that are in your control are like your pace between shots, your pace during the shot, uh, your tension level, um, calculating distances. I think really amateurs have a really tough time of doing that. Um, learning how to calculate distances, it, it takes a really good golfer to, to help a new beginner understand how to do that. What is the wind playing? How much do you allow for the wind? Um, if it's going from here to Texas, you're going to calculate altitude. Going from Texas to Phoenix that are almost the same like altitude, but one has really thick, heavy air and the other has mountain desert air. What are we going to do? Because the golf balls are going to like, Texas are going to be mostly um, sea level. Then you're going to have a half a club dis difference between um, Texas and Arizona. And then you're going to have another half a club, if not a club difference between Phoenix and here. And so learning how to calculate what, what the ball and the atmosphere does is very important. What the wind does, um, whether I'm not feeling 100% that day, learning how to calculate that in, or early round yardages versus end of the round yardages. Those things change too. As you get loose, how many times you probably didn't prepare properly, especially if you're not in tournaments, you know, tournament mind and tournament uh, um, fitness level, if you want to call it, uh, you're probably not um, loose enough by the first couple, two or three holes that your body's not hitting the ball at your optimum pace, right? But when you get later on in the round, you're like, oh, I'm getting loose. I'm feeling good. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, great. I think I can hit a seven iron 155 right now. Great, perfect. I'm going to flush it. Wonderful. Early in the round, I'm probably 145. I need to be aware of that, right? Calculating distance is really important and having a good attitude after a bad shot. My golf instructor always used to tell me, have a good, a good decision after a bad shot. Follow a good decision after a bad shot. And I, I, that's a really big, um, really big uh, mental, like that's really important for me. Shake it oh. off, make a good decision execute the next shot, shake it off. It's behind you move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. The way you react to one shot can, can alter the course of the rest of your round. Yeah. Um, there's, and so, yeah, it's, it's going nuts. back to Max Homa forgive quickly. You know, he, um, he had that, um, in that interview after he, he missed a birdie putt, right? Three feet on the last hole to win the mm -hmm. tournament. So he got into a playoff. And his wife called him and she said, don't forget your whole goal this week was to forgive quickly, forgive quickly, move on and move forward. And if you listen to his interview after that, he talked about, Hey, I, I looked at it and I made uh, what he shoot 67 or 66 on Riviera. And uh, he goes, I did so many good things today and I didn't make a bogey all day. Yeah. You know, and that bogey for your Riviera is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So um, that's kind of some, some great things. I've done some pot, I lost some podcasts, but I've done um, some mental prep Zoom classes for my juniors this winter. And um, a really well-known author decided to come on and, and talk to my kids, which was a special treat. I just cold emailed him and I said, hey, I'm doing some Zoom classes for my kids on mental prep this winter. We're reading one of your books. Um, would you like to come on and discuss it with our kids? And he goes, I would love to. And that guy rocked it. The kids don't stop talking about him because he was kind of goofy. 
but he really focused on um, his um, acronym for when, W-I-N, is what's important now. And the kids, they talk about that all the time. What's important, coach? What's important now? You know, I'm constantly going to get back into that rhythm with my kids and saying, okay, guys, what's important right now? What do we have in front of us? What shot, what shot do you feel like you need to play? Yeah, sometimes with that concept, I, I'm mentally not where I need to be. I'll admit that. But I do enjoy sometimes when I get put in a tough situation um, or I put myself in a tough situation to like challenge myself to that. This is like a new challenge or a shot I've never hit before or something right. that I can be happy about after this next shot and, and then totally forget about the shot that I just hit that put me under the tree and behind the water. Right. Well, Miss Kelly, thank you so much. Before you go, plug plug everything. Plug your website. Plug your your golf barn because I'm gonna post um, with your with your okay. I'm gonna post some pictures on when we post this podcast. Post some pictures with that because I was had no clue rolling up to there. It was gonna be as incredible as it was. You know, I we we keep it looking a little bit like a horse barn on the outside because uh, we live out in the middle of nowhere and and uh, we like we like to keep it um, humble out here in East Parker, almost Elizabeth. I would say we're we're four miles north of Elizabeth. Um, you know, not a lot of people know where it is because I don't advertise it a lot. I do a lot of um, you know um, word of mouth lessons, which is great. My word of mouth business has been phenomenal. People refer me quite a bit, and I can't be more grateful to those people. Um, my golf barn is out in the middle of nowhere. If you know where Delbert Road is, we're off of Delbert Road. It's uh, back behind my personal house, so it's my home studio. Uh, my website is kmg18.com. You can find me there. You can email me at kelly, K-E-L-L-I, dot McCandless, M-C-K-A-N-D-L-E-S-S at gmail.com. Um, and uh, I'd love to help you with your golf game. Yeah. Great. Kelly is awesome. So you guys hit her up. You have a, a Facebook page as well. Yeah. Um, my Facebook, you can find me. I'm like the only Kelly McCandless out there that's spelled with an I. So you okay. can't really not find me. Um, uh, but you can also do Kelly McCandless golf. I have a, a business page as well from Facebook and, and on my Instagram. That is awesome. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I know this podcast is going to be great for a lot of our listeners who are feeling maybe a little scared about getting into golf, feeling a little nervous about playing in our golf league this year, playing in any tournaments this year. And I know after listening to this, they're going to feel a lot better, especially coming from an expert like you. So we appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys for having me on. This has been, I told you, I, I think I already told you, I'm so excited. This is pretty cool. Excited yeah. to be on. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, Kelly. Kelly. It, it was awesome. We had a blast. Me too. Hey, I noticed you have a little D Nash on your on your top on your hat, man. Dallas National, man. A little oh yeah, a little Dallas National. I've never gone down there, but my buddy, um, my buddy is a member down there, and I heard it's unreal. I'll have to make it down sometime. We really hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Kelly. She was great and gave some great tips on breaking into the game of golf, so you guys can do it too. Don't forget, we are starting a DNVR Golf League this year. It starts in June. You have to be a DNVR Golf member to be able to be in the league. Get yourself a CGA membership, a handicap, all that good stuff. So head over to the DNVR.com, hover over, join, and the DNVR Golf membership is right there. You're still getting your free polo, all that stuff. So we really want you guys to join. We want to make this league a big, fun thing to do and go to the DNVR bar afterwards for happy hour and scoring. And we have our DNVR Golf Tournament out at the Valley of Fun 
on April 24th. That's a Saturday, 9 a.m. start. We will have more details for that in the near future and how you guys can sign up, but we hope to see as much of you guys there as possible because we're trying to blow this thing to the moon. Thank you guys all for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at DNVR underscore golf. Mitchell is at Big Drive Mitch. I am at Big Drive Spence. For now, we will talk to you guys next week on another episode of Big Drive Energy. Peace.